You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. If you would, please join with me in turning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13. Let's read beginning at the third verse of this 18th chapter. Matthew 13, verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and were yielding a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. Then look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's ask our God's blessing on the proclamation of his word tonight. Father in heaven, thank you for this day, the Lord's day, that you give to us to worship you to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be encouraged, to be edified. In that way, Lord, to be guarded, washed every week as we gather together by the pure Word of God. Lord, we understand that these times when we come face to face with Scripture in preaching, these times are weighty. Sitting before me are saints who will one day be standing before our Savior, the finished product of His saving work, the trophies of Your grace purchased by His blood, standing before You, Father, conformed to the image of the One who has delivered them. What a weighty thing it is to feed Your sheep through the proclamation of Your Holy Word. Lord, we are inadequate for this. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need You, and that's why we ask each time for your blessing upon this time. And also hearing me on this day have been people who don't know you, and we pray that this might be the day of salvation for some, that even this day eyes would see, ears would hear, a heart of stone would become a heart of flesh, and the result of the proclamation, the spreading of the seed of your word would be new life in Jesus Christ. Lord, Would you do that? Would you save this day? We will be very careful to give you praise and thanks for every good thing that is accomplished, for anything that stands the test of eternity is your work, and to you alone belongs all praise, honor, and glory. Lord, work tonight for the sake of your great name and the good of your people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We've been thinking this day about the kind of reception 
we meet with as the Word of God is being preached in this age between the time of the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. That's what these parables have to do with. The unveiling of mysteries regarding the kingdom of heaven. Namely, the rejection of the king and the outworking of the saving plan of God that will take place as a result of that rejection. This is not unexpected. This is not plan B. This was the plan all along. And this is something that you see in the Old Testament, but in a sense that is veiled. And now our Lord is unveiling it. As we think about how the future citizens of the earthly kingdom of Christ, he's going to usher in with his second coming. As we think about how those citizens are being gathered in during this age through the preaching of the gospel. As we think about the formation of the family of God through the preaching of the gospel, as we think about entrance into the kingdom of God in its spiritual sense through faith in Christ, how is that going to take place and, and what kinds of responses to the preached word will we come in contact with during this time? That's what Jesus is talking about in this particular parable, the parable of the, of the sower of the soils. He describes four kinds of hearers. This morning we talked about two that he describes. The hearer who does not understand, or you could say the careless hearer. Their, their life is like the, the hardened walkways throughout the fields, the pathways, the roads. The, the seed falls upon the pathway and it just sits there. It doesn't penetrate. And using the parable that Jesus told, the birds come along and eat up that seed, and it's lost, it's snatched away. And our Lord is saying there, there's this kind of person who, who, who encounters the Word of God like that. It doesn't penetrate. They don't really hear it. They don't understand it. And there's a supernatural element involved in that because the evil one comes along and snatches away what was sown in their heart so that they don't go on thinking about it, they don't go on encountering it in the realm of their conscience, their life isn't changed by it. It's as if they never heard it at all. And there is that kind of hearer that we're going to meet with. The things that thrill your soul, the things that you consider to be so important, you can expose those people to these things and it doesn't matter to them at all. It is either nonsense at the level of understanding in terms of intellectual understanding of the message, or it's nonsense in terms of why it is so important to you. So they don't understand the gravity of it, the seriousness of it. The hearer who does not understand, a careless hearer. And then the second soil we examined was the hearer who does not endure, represented by the shallow soil, a shallow listener, a superficial listener, so that there's an immediate response to what they hear, it looks like a reception of the Word of God that would be saving. There seems to be this, this initial explosion of growth, but they eventually fall away through the troubles that professing believers will meet with in this world, through the persecution that comes because of the Word of God. They do not endure. They fall away. And what is exposed in the process is that the Word of God never took root in their life. The soil was shallow, the hearer who does not endure. Now tonight we begin with the third soil that Jesus describes, and you see it in verse 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Tonight we'll describe this hearer in this way, the hearer who has not been relocated. The hearer who has not been relocated. What I mean by that description is that while this person hears the word of God and might even seem to receive the word of God, their citizenship never changes. The spiritual domain in which they live their life has, has never changed. They are a worldly hearer. They've never been relocated. Philippians chapter 3 describes the two realms in which human beings live. 
There are only two. Philippians 3.18 says, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. And then he says this, with minds set on earthly things. He's describing false teachers, but this is lost humanity. They are headed for destruction. They live according to their appetites. Their God is their belly. There is no real reverence for God. They glory in things that are shameful. But perhaps the overarching description that encompasses all of that is they live their life on this earth as if the earth is all that there is, as if temporal things are the only things that matter with minds set on earthly things. But, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their minds on earthly things, your minds fixed in the heavens, where your citizenship is and where your Savior is, and you're waiting for His return. So that even as you're living your life in this temporal realm, you're living with an everlasting hope and an eternal focus. How did you come to be such a person that your citizenship is in heaven and your heart is fixed on your Savior who is coming from heaven so that your ambitions and goals and longings and desires are fixed in the heavens? How did this come to be? The answer is, of course, salvation. The day that you were saved, your citizenship was relocated. You became a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. A new kingdom, a new family. A new citizenship, a new brethren. And with that new citizenship comes new desires, new ambitions, a new way of living life. It results in a new mind. Hebrews 11 describes what you see in human lives where there is genuine faith. In the 13th verse, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. This is what faith produces, a new set of eyes. You can see what God has promised, though you've not yet met with it. You have welcomed it from a distance. You're not yet there, but you long for it. And in such a life, listen to the next statement, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is our confession. We're, we're living our lives now in, in alien territory. This is not our home. This is temporary. It's not for forever. And we can see that. We know that. We acknowledge that. So our citizenship is in heaven. And then verse 14 says, for people who speak thus, who talk like this, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. We are not yet home, are we? We're not home yet. And so we are, we are missionaries until we see our Savior face to face. We are here on assignment. There is something for us to do that has eternal value, both in knowing our God and making Him known. This is how we think. This is what we see. 
This is what we say. This is what we seek. This is how we live. And that's the result of salvation. Salvation has resulted in a relocation. In spiritual terms, that is real. But even in terms of our perspectives, what motivates us, what we desire, something has changed, hasn't it? For forever. Colossians 1.13 describes it this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, where that transference has happened, where that relocation has taken place, the Word of God will produce fruit. But where someone is encountering the Word of God, even though they've heard it, initially they seem to respond to it, if they are still a citizen of this earth, if they are still in the domain of darkness, if there has not been regeneration, the new birth, if the relocation has not taken place, eventually what happens is where their heart is eventually manifests itself. And, and they are earth dwellers. They are worldly. And that shows up in the choking out of the kind of fruit that would be present if the soil was good. We're going to meet with people who eventually manifest the fact that, that, they are, that they represent bad soil. Using the analogy our Lord gives us, the only variable that would explain fruit and fruitlessness is the soil. The sower is the same in each case. Jesus and those whom He uses to spread the Word of God. The seed is the same in each case. It is the Word of God. But the soil in three instances is not good. And the result is fruitlessness. This particular person represents a kind of soil where there are thorns. And Jesus describes what these thorns in the parable represent. He mentions two things. A kind of hearer who lives according to the world's priorities. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word and the worry of the world. The worry of the world, the LSB and the New American Standard have. The cares, the troubles, the anxieties of the world. Merimna is the Greek word. Anxiety, worry, care. People whose lives are consumed with what the world is consumed with. What the world worries about, cares about, is anxious over. Or you could say what the world counts to be of most importance. I mean, what matters most, what I need to think about the most, what I need to invest in the most, what I need to concern myself with the most. This is someone who's hearing the Word of God and maybe professes to know Jesus, and for a time even it appears that fruit is beginning to emerge, but eventually what, what becomes clear is they are dominated by the same things this world is dominated by because they belong to the world. They've never been relocated. They've never experienced this transference from one spiritual domain to another. These are people who take what are legitimate, perhaps at times, legitimate concerns, legitimate things to focus on to some degree, but like a lost and dying world always does, they're concerned about it in a way that is illegitimate. They are focused on it in a way that is illegitimate as if these temporal matters are more important than God, as if these temporal concerns are to be compared with something that's eternal. I think I can say it to you this way. This is a person who is fruitless in the spiritual realm because they're consumed with the temporal realm. Fruitless in the spiritual realm because you are consumed with the temporal realm. Which is why this description, this choking description, is powerful and it is precise. You're meeting with a word from God that speaks of eternal things, but the reason why it bears no fruit in the life is because it is being choked out by competing interests that a worldly person considers to be more important 
than God and, and the eternity of which His Word speaks. R.T. France comments, he says, A concern with possessions betrays a focus on this world which is in tension with commitment to the kingdom of heaven. What, what, what will I be committed to? What will I live my life in response to? The kingdoms of this world or the kingdom of heaven? He goes on to say, that tension is symbolized in the choking of the grain. There is not room for both God and mammon to take priority in a person's allegiance. Close quote. What will you give your allegiance to? What will you devote yourself to? God or material things? And this can manifest itself, when we talk about the world's priorities, this can manifest itself in a number of different ways. It manifests itself in the realm of temporal provisions. This is what the Sermon on the Mount dealt with. We're not to be like lost people who are constantly concerned about what am I going to put on? What am I going to eat? How am I going to make it? How am I going to exist? Don't you know your Father knows that you need all these things? This is what Jesus said to us. You don't live your life as if you don't have God as your Father. You don't live your life as if He doesn't care for you, love for you, will take care of you. You don't live your life as if, as if you are the one who has to ultimately meet your own needs. No, the very way you, you pursue and think about temporal provision reflects that God is now your Father and you know He cares for you, knows what you need, supplies for you. And so watch a person whose entire life is consumed with those sorts of things, how, how, what house I'm going to live in and what I'm going to drive and how we're going to pay the bills. And, and this drives your life. Not Christ, not God, not eternity, not Scripture. Work, money, provision. This can show up in the realm of family life. I think about this, you know, I'm so grateful for my wife. So I admire her so much, so thankful for her love for Christ, her love for me, her love for our family. To even think about a day when I would not have her, I mean, if I should outlive her, is extremely painful for me. And in the human realm, you might even think, how would I do it? But she cannot be my God. She's my sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as my wife. We worship the same King. We've been redeemed by the same Savior. We're headed for the same eternity. So that my relationship with her has to be put in that context, in my own mind, my own heart. You can't make an idol out of your children. You can't make an idol out of your grandchildren. This is why our Lord said that if we love anybody more than we love Him, we're not worthy to be His disciples because somewhere, sometime in everybody's life, your devotion to Christ will be tested by family relationships. It might be an unbelieving set of parents who challenge your faith in Christ. It may be an unbelieving spouse. It may be an unbeliever in some other realm of your family life that is, that is pressing on your devotion to Christ. Well, do you love Jesus in a way that you don't love anybody else? Is He Lord? Will you disobey Him in the interest of preserving a family relationship? And sometimes you see people who choose the temporal realm over the eternal, and it shows up in that category, in the category of family life. And dear ones, I, I warn you lovingly, I, I trust, as best I can know my own heart, but you're all going to be faced with it sooner or later as this culture heads further and further down the road of moral madness, it is going to press on your devotion to Christ. When someone in your family orbit declares that they are a homosexual, someone in your family orbit declares that they are transitioning, someone in your family orbit commits adultery, 
and, and they blow their family life up. Someone in your family or, I mean, name it, some choice they're making. And now the question is, where are you going to stand on this? What will you say? How will you respond? And people who are still earthbound, people who set their mind on earthly things will not follow Jesus in those matters. They will find a way to excuse their disobedience. Earthly pleasures have to be put in the perspective of eternity. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Our God has created a world full of color, full of variety, and He's given us so many things as His children to enjoy. And as long as we enjoy those things with Christ preeminent in everything, there's an appropriate way to receive those things from His hand and to give Him thanks for it. And He takes delight as His children are delighted by what He provides. But substitute those pleasures for God Himself, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now this is the kind of soil where the Word of God gets choked out. How many people in this world find it From a human point of view, just listen to them talk. They find it difficult to find time for God because once you have work and once you have family and once you have pleasure, there's no more room. There's no room for the church. There's no room for service. There's no room for faithfulness to the worship services, much less anything additional. Because all of these other things for that person's life really are more important than God himself. This is the kind of soil that isn't bearing fruit because the priorities of worldlings are their priorities because they are still worldlings, no matter what their profession is. They set their mind on earthly things. Say it another way, as our Lord says it, He doesn't just talk about the worry of the world, He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. The world's priorities reflect the world's promises. This is really valuable, the world says. This is really treasure. You see, it's important because it has great worth. These things are riches to be pursued and taken hold of. You can think in terms of money, but it's larger than just money. What do you count to be true treasure? What's really valuable to you? Can I tell you something? Every one of us is revealing it, what we count to be treasure, because it's what you live for. Find what you're pursuing. Find what you're giving your best effort to and your most time to. That's what you're counting to be your treasure. And our Lord says in the case of these people, they are deceived. The deceitfulness of wealth. It it looks like treasure, but it's not. It promises to be treasure, but it isn't. You think of it as treasure, but you're deceived, you see. What does it mean to be deceived, by the way? What does it mean to be deceived? It means to be convinced that you're right when you're wrong. You think you're standing in the right place, but you're standing in a ruinous place. That's what it means to be deceived. This is why the Bible warns us about what real treasure is. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. What do you say to people who have a lot? Aaron mentioned it in his prayer tonight. We live in such a prosperous nation. Every one of us is rich when compared to the average person, the average citizen of the world. We've all been given so much. So what do you say to a people who have so much in terms of material things? You say to them, it is uncertain. Don't set your heart on these things God has given you. Make sure you set your heart on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And then he says this, so that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. There are all these things that promise to be life, but they're deceptive. And in running after those things, you aren't taking hold of what is truly life. Don't set your heart on what you have. Set your heart on the one who gives you what you have. He is the treasure. Jesus illustrated this deceitfulness on another occasion through a parable. Luke 12, 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Right? Here's the guy who says, okay, I've worked my whole life to get a hold of all these things. And I have so much. I need larger places to store it, but I'm finally ready to lay that down. I'm finally ready to enjoy what I've accumulated. Next verse, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What kind of soil is this? That the word of God is choked out. It's someone who hears the word, who may even seem to receive the word, who may profess to believe the word, but there's never been a relocation. Their citizenship is not in heaven. They are not a member of the family, the household of God. And the Evidence of that is they set their mind on earthly things so that the world's priorities are their priorities and the world's promises represent their treasure. And the result is they are fruitless. John MacArthur wrote, the third patch of soil is infested with thorns and represents the man who hears the word but is too worldly for it to take root and grow in his heart. This person hears the word of the gospel and may make a token profession of faith, but his first love is for the things of the world and his worry about or preoccupation with those things blinds him to the importance of the gospel or anything else spiritual and eternal. He loves riches and lives as if they are the answer to all his needs and desires. He is oblivious to their deceitfulness, to their utter inability to satisfy the heart or bring lasting happiness. He does not notice his deceiving Worldliness chokes the word because his attention is on his riches, possessions, prestige, position, and other things of the world. He is not even aware that he has lost what knowledge of the word he once had or that his spiritual life is totally unfruitful because he has no real interest in such things. Think about that choking imagery. James Montgomery Boyce said this, riches do not choke a person all at once. It is a gradual process. Like the weeds in Christ's parable, riches grow up gradually, <clears throat> slowly, slowly. They strangle the budding of spiritual life within. Beware of that if you either have great possessions or are on your way to acquiring them. Above all, beware if you are saying, I need to provide for myself now. I'll think about spiritual things when I'm older. Now is the time to make my way in my career. Now is the time to make my money. Now is the time to give myself fully to these things. Eventually, I'll get around to the matters of the soul and make them a priority. But for now, the Lord knows. I'm in my prime earning years and I better take full advantage. Dear professing brother, if you are a brother, you need to recognize you're, you're being deceived. The deceitfulness of wealth. Let me say one thing before we move on to the final soil. 
what he's describing here are people who are unregenerate. They don't belong to the family and kingdom of God. But if you think that because the Lord has saved you, you won't battle with worldly priorities and worldly promises, you would be wrong. The flesh still abides within us. We still know indwelling sin, don't we? This is why the Lord Jesus is teaching His disciples about waking themselves up to the fact that their Father knows what they need. Stop being driven by worldly anxiety if you belong to God as your Father. He will take care of you. Not in a way that will make you irresponsible, but in a way that will make you trusting. So I want to say to you that somebody perhaps is hearing me tonight. You know Jesus. You are regenerate. The Word of God has taken root in you. But right now, you see yourself struggling spiritually, suffering spiritually because things are out of order in the realm of your priorities and out of order in the realm of what you're counting to be treasure. You are in the process of wasting precious moments that represent real treasure as you're running after fool's gold. The question is, will you see it even tonight? Will you say in a way that isn't fleeting? Because this is what happens as well. We get glimpses of this, right? We sit in a worship service like this. We hear a sermon like this, and God gives us a glimpse, an awakening for a moment. We walk out the doors and return right back to the very lifestyle that is robbing us. Will you draw a line in the spiritual sand? Will you say, I see and I can't ignore it anymore. This must change in my life. I'm wasting it. And give yourself to what is true treasure. Taking what is legitimate concern and legitimate matters for focus and putting them in the right categories, in the right place, so that you don't make a God of what God gives you. You set your heart on Him, and you set your heart on heaven. So, three kinds of soils that represent people who meet with the Word of God, but are not converted. Someone who is careless as he listens, his heart is hard as as a roadway. Someone who is shallow in his response or her response, you hear the Word of God, immediately spring up with joy. It's immediate, it is passionate, but then it goes away as soon as the troubles land, as soon as the persecution comes because it never really took root in your life. Apostates who swerve out of the way for a life of ease from their point of view. And then the kind of person who slowly over time What should be produced by the Word of God is being choked out because though they profess to be a citizen of heaven, their their, their heart is on earth. Though they profess to be a member of the family of God, their life is characterized by idols. And their idols represent the treasures of this world. Before we move to the final soil, can I just ask you, if everything you have in this world right now is stripped away from you in a moment, what do you have left? We take it all away in a moment because this is what death is going to do. It's going to take it all away in a moment. Now, what do you have that stands the test of eternity? If we take what you've been investing in, what you've been counting as most important, we put it into your hands, and now you stand before Jesus with that in your hands, How does it stand before the gaze of Christ at the judgment seat of Christ? Lord, you know how important our traveling baseball team is, right? You know that's why I had to miss worship semi-regularly because this baseball team is so important. Lord, you know I love to be on the lake. I mean, I couldn't be with your people regularly because I love that piece of property you've given to us. I mean, I needed to be there. Lord, you know how important my business is. I mean, we take what you've actually been investing in, and there you stand before Jesus as that being your treasure. If you don't want to stand there like that, then realize what your treasure really is and begin to pursue it. Then we have the fourth and final kind of soil. 
Verse 23, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is the hearer who proves to be fruitful. This is the regenerate hearer. I've said it already, I want to underscore it. The difference between fruitlessness and fruitfulness is the condition of the soil. Because the illustration that Jesus gives has to do with one field, a field that has different types of soils represented in it. So the sower is going out, he's scattering the seed, and it's falling on these four different kinds of soils in the same field. The sower is the same, the seed is the same. One field, which means the same elements, right? The same amount of sunshine, the same amount of rain. The difference is in the soil. Why did the seed of the gospel take root in your life? Why, why was it that you heard it in a way that there was genuine saving faith in response? You took hold of Christ. The answer is because God did something to change your soil. Regeneration produced the element in which the seed fell and took root and produced fruit, God changed your heart. And so this is someone who understands the message. Good soil. This is the man who hears the Word and understands it, not just intellectually, but devotionally. You get it. You take it to heart. It takes root in your heart. You believe it. You act on it. You're changed by it. You heed its call. You submit to its command. The gospel comes in the force of command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you heard it in that kind of way so that you committed your life to the one who took hold of you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result is you bear the fruit of salvation. The fruit is wondrous. Think about what he's describing. You get in some cases, a hundred times more than what you sowed. What was sown produces 60 times more. What was sown produces 30 times more. Leon Morris said this, commentators disagree as to whether these figures are an exuberant exaggeration to bring out the bountiful nature of the crop or whether they are meant to be taken literally. Without knowing the seed, it is not easy to be dogmatic Maize, for example, might well produce a hundred or more seeds, though with wheat that is not quite so likely. But in any case, Jesus is making the point that in good ground, carefully nurtured seeds will produce an abundant harvest. It may also be significant that not all, produ all produce the same amount. There are different responses that are acceptable. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I, I think what the parable is meant to indicate is the result is supernatural. I look at you, I look at God's people, and I see what is supernatural. People who love Christ, that's supernatural. People who love each other with a love that is the love of God, that's supernatural. People who love the Scriptures, that's supernatural. People who love to serve, who will sacrifice of themselves for the spiritual good of somebody else, that's supernatural. People who would suffer for the message. Sometimes as near as in their own home. That's supernatural. People who will say, you know, we think about relocating, but the most important thing for us is the church. That's supernatural. So that what our Lord is describing, even in its most minimal form, 30-fold, it's supernatural. And this is what the gospel produces, supernatural change. Isn't that glorious to recognize? Right? This is not a club of people who just get, get together because we've, we've come to embrace the same philosophy. No, this is a group of people who have been taken hold of by the living God, who are now new creations in Christ Jesus with new desires, new loves, new hatreds. It's a supernatural family that is formed 
through the preaching of the gospel. Citizens of heaven are being gathered in through the preaching of the gospel. It's supernatural. But it's not all the same. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The fruit is wondrous, but the fruit is various. Some will bear more fruit than others due to what they'll be exposed to over their life. Some people in the world sit under true teaching, but perhaps they've not heard the same depth of teaching as people in other places. Some people come to Christ later in life than others, so instead of you know 60 years of serving Jesus, they serve Him for 10 before they go to be home with the Lord. Some people have not been as obedient as others. And, and so though they are truly regenerate and though the fruit is supernatural, there's a self-limiting nature as to growth and production because you're not pursuing sanctification in its progressive sense in the way that the Lord would have you to and has called you to. Regeneration, that's monergistic. God did it all by Himself. You had nothing to do with your new birth. But progressive sanctification is synergistic. You're involved. The Lord is at work in His people both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so it is true to say where there is obedience and submission to the Word of God, there will be more fruitfulness. And this is why you have exhortations throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament as well, exhorting us to fully give ourselves what God has called us to that we might experience maximum fruit bearing. And so though the, the, all the fruit is wondrous, it is various. But what, what you will not find is good soil where there is no crop. Good soil with good seed and a good sower and the right elements, but there's no production. You don't have that. And so this is the question for us, isn't it? The two things we talked about this morning, what kind of soil am I and what kind of hearer can I expect to meet with as you and I go throughout this world on mission till we go home to be with Jesus, disseminating the seed, what kind of hearers will we, will we meet with? So let me wrap it up tonight by just mentioning four things and we're done. First of all, remember that not all preaching will be received. Not all preaching will be received. That's what we see in the first three soils. As I said, it's not just you examining what kind of soil you are. What are your expectations as you disseminate the gospel? If you expect that everyone to whom you share it, with whom you share it will be converted, you will be disappointed. Not all preaching will be received. This was true in our Lord's ministry. It certainly will be true in ours. In fact, let me take it a step further. Second thought, the reception of the Word is in the minority. The reception of the Word, I mean, saving reception of the Word, is in the minority. Three soils represent ultimate rejection. One soil represents salvation. So you're going to meet with more rejection than reception as you share the Word of God. Is that, are your ministry expectations... Rightly oriented. Do you understand you're going to meet with a lot of rejection? Third thought, even the most enthusiastic reception, initial reception, is not final proof of salvation. Time and fruit are the evidence. Time and fruit. And so let us exhort each other all the more, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief in us. Right? God uses the warnings passages and the exhortations of His Word in the case of those whom He has saved to fuel our continuance. We persevere, but it's the ref it is the result of His preserving power. He preserves us in and through faith. And so let us remind each other that the ultimate evidence that the Lord has saved us is not some decision we made 20 years ago but the fact that we love Jesus tonight. And so let us go on loving Jesus. Let us go on having heavenly priorities. Let us go on storing up treasure in heaven so that when we see in each other perhaps that wrestling with worldly priorities and worldly treasure, let us exhort each other, oh, dear brother, sister, 
Aim higher. Lift your eyes up. Know what the Lord has saved you for. And pursue it with all your heart. Last thought, the fruit will be different in each one of us. But if we are saved, it will not be absent in any of us. And so, people whom I love, I ask you, when you look at your life, do you see fruit? Do you see something supernatural? A love for God you didn't know before. A heavenly focus you didn't know before. A different evaluation of treasure that you didn't know before. A relationship to the Word of God that doesn't go away. Can it be said of you, you're a citizen of heaven, and it's known by what you see, Hebrews 11, and by what you seek, and by what you say. You acknowledge and confess that you're just a pilgrim here, an alien, a stranger, so that the fruit of heaven is born in your life even as you live on earth. May the Lord grant assurance to His people. May the Lord awaken and save those who are not His people. And the church would say, Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for Your holy Word. Thank You, Lord, for the ways in which it is merciful. What a mercy that we would hear these things on this side of eternity. What an opportunity is set before men and women the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the King. Salvation set forth before people, not based on their performance, but based upon the finished work of Your Son, offered freely, received by faith alone. What grace and mercy that You would bring this good news to us in clear terms before we die. Lord, would You grant that we would live even while we live that we would embrace what is truly life, that we would not waste our lives. You've given us life. Now, Lord, let us walk in it. Strengthen us to see what pathway that is and strengthen us to pursue it with all that we are. For the sake of your great name and the good of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.